There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Monica O'Hanlon Production. Monogamy never even occurred to me. That's the thing. It wasn't like I'm thinking that it wasn't for me. It wasn't in my radar. Hey there, thanks for dropping by. You are, of course, listening to the Living With Mon podcast, the series which explores interesting and alternative lifestyles. I'm your host, Monica O'Hanlon, and I am over the moon you're joining me for this episode. I'm not really sure how to introduce today's guest because he wears many, many hats. His name is Oberon Zell, and he's an artist, author, and teacher. He's also a wizard and, in fact, the headmaster of a school of wizardry. And he's the founder and primate of the oldest incorporated pagan church, the Church of All Worlds. Now, I was lucky enough to speak with Oberon for another series of mine, Dying with Mon, where we spoke all about the Church of All Worlds and his views on death and what happens next. If you're curious, I cannot recommend that episode highly enough. I'll link it in the show notes. It's an absolutely incredible conversation. But one thing we didn't delve too far into last time was his relationships. Oberon is polyamorous. He's been in a number of group marriages and has an absolutely beautiful outlook on the topic. I am so excited to share this one with you. So without further ado, let's get into it. Oberon, are you able to define polyamory and what it means to you? Well, sure. Polyamory, the the, the terminology was actually coined by my late beloved life mate, uh, Morning Glory Izell, back in 1990. And the terminology has to do with having multiple open, loving relationships with um, everybody involved, being fully aware of the whole situation and in agreement with it, uh, with each other and all. Yeah, it's pretty straightforward and simple. It's just simply multiple loving. That's what polyamory means, loving many. Yeah, beautiful. Maybe you could give us a quick rundown of, of how Morning Glory did come up with the term. This is back in 1990, and at that time we were in a triad marriage with another woman, and um, we had at that point three adults and three kids in the family, uh, shortly to be joined by one more man. So we actually, for most of the time, it was two men, two women, and three kids. We'd been happily doing all this for quite a long time. In fact, Morning Glory and I had really never been anything other than polyamorous in our entire life, even with our previous marriages and long before we met each other. It was, a, in fact, a big, uh, wonderful connection when we actually did meet to make that realization that we were both polyamorous. It was going to be wonderful, and it was. We had 40 wonderful years together and two 10-year-long group marriages, which were wonderful and remain in good connection with all the people involved. 
So in about 1980, we were publishing our magazine, Green Egg, which is still in publication. The current issue is out, and it's number 175, 53 years, <laughs> volume 53. It's, it's really uh, got quite a record there. So Morning Glory had mentioned something about some other people that we knew, and she made a comment that they just weren't following the rules of having an open relationship. And Diane said, well, look, you know, you're always talking about these rules. Why don't you write an article for Green Egg on the rules for having uh, multiple open relationships? And so she thought that would be a good idea. And in the process of writing it, she was looking for a word to describe this. And there was nothing. There was, um, obviously, we had words like monogamy, which means marrying one person, and polygamy, which means marrying several people. And there was open relationships, which is kind of vague. And, and some people were using terms like non-monogamy or, or other awkward words like omnigamy, which means marrying everybody, which is really weird. And in lots of stuff, people were exploring to try to find the right terminology. And well, Morning Glory and I both um, know a, a smattering of Greek because we were into dinosaurs, and they're all in Greek, and a fair amount of Latin, which we took in school. And usually, if you're looking for a word, you you search for roots, usually in Latin and then in Greek. But the Latin word that would have been uh, loving many, as opposed to marrying anybody, which was not what we were talking about, would have been um, multi-amory. And multi-amory just sound a little awkward, but doable. In Greek, it would have been polyphilia. And that's that sounds like some kind of a disease, you know, and so that really didn't work. And we tried it the other way around. You know, you can go to, it could have been, you know, polyamory. Uh, uh, that seemed to strike it. It was like, wow, you know, the combination of the Greek and Latin made a perfect word that immediately clicked and everybody loved it. So she wrote that into the article that she was writing, which was called A Bouquet of Lovers. And we published it at the 1st of May, Beltane of 1990 in Green Egg. And subsequently, we were invited to... Um, attend a, a, a conference on multiple relationships. And we introduced that as well as an entire glossary of terminology. And we went on from polyamorous, which was her original, the original article to polyamory and lots of other descriptive terminology. We just developed a whole glossary of terminology, which has now become just widely adopted in this whole new community. And it's remarkable now to see uh, documentaries or articles in the paper, or even a, not long ago, there was a statement that a town in Massachusetts or a county had legalized polyamorous marriage, you know, and all this, the terminology is now out there. You see it in TV shows, you know, people talk about somebody being polyamorous, you know, and that kind of stuff. So we're kind of tickled by that whole thing. So that's it. That's the story. <laughs> I love that story. I think it's super beautiful and it sounds just wonderful how it all came about. But we might take it back to the beginning. When did you realize that monogamy wasn't for you? Was there, were you at a certain age or was there a moment when it just clicked and you're like, yeah, no, nah, this isn't, this doesn't feel right? Well, actually, monogamy never even occurred to me. That's the thing. It wasn't like I'm thinking that it wasn't for me, it wasn't in my radar, you know. Um, my earliest reading was children's versions of the Greek myths and the gods in the ancient stories had multiple relationships. And, 
and you know never really thought much about it. You know, they they might have been married to one other deity, but they they had you know lots of relationships. When I was a little kid, uh, the earliest I remember, I was just I don't know a toddler practically. You know, I had two girlfriends. You know, and it just seemed perfectly normal too. And as I grew up and got older and started dating, I I was never dated singly. I always dated at least two girls at a time. And then when I uh, got into college, the first year of college, a novel called Stranger in a Strange Land, a sci-fi novel by Robert Heinlein came out. And Heinlein had written a lot of juvenile sci-fi novels as I was growing up that were very influential in that time. He wrote them during the 50s. And that's when I was growing up and going to high school right in there. And it was sort of like the Harry Potter novels of my generation. You know, he waited for the next one to come out, you know. And finally, um, in 1961, when I started college, the grand finale of the entire series came out, and that was Stranger in a Strange Land. And in that, it made an amazingly wonderful, powerful, and beautiful case for what we eventually came to call polyamory. They didn't have a word for it there. It was just just seemed perfectly natural that the characters and the storyline involved uh, loving many people and having sex with many people and multiple relationships and group marriage. And these themes continued for all of the rest of the novels that Heinlein wrote through the rest of his life. They all involved group marriages and line marriages and multiple relationships and partners, and it was just normal. So at that point, it just seemed like perfectly normal to me. It, monogamy simply never occurred to me. It never entered into the picture. I've, I've never tried it. I have no idea what that might be like because it's never occurred to me. <laughs> what did your folks say? Because I feel like back then uh, things would have been, I guess, more conservative. Is that fair to say? Were they okay with it from the get-go? Or? Well, that's very interesting because back when I was in high school, there was the idea of going steady and it was often kind of frowned upon by the parents. You know, they preferred you to be kind of dating around. So the fact that I was dating several girls through high school wasn't actually controversial at the time. It was perfectly ordinary to do that. I just simply was one of those people who didn't go steady, as, as some people did. But not everybody did. And um, by the time I got into college, I was out of the home and out of the family and uh, developing a new family. And got married and had a kid, not exactly in that order. And, uh, and, and Stranger in a Strange Land had come out, and we picked up on the ideas and the themes and be adopted them to our life. In the storyline, a church is created. The, the, the story theme is um, that the first Martian expedition from Earth to Mars, the first colony ship, crashes. But a, a child was conceived on the journey by one of the women, and this newborn baby is the only survivor, and he's raised by this ancient race of, of ancient wise Martians in their culture, because they have no idea what human culture is. And a lot of stuff happens back on Earth, and it's another 25 years before another um, expedition gets to Mars successfully. And here they discover this 25-year-old kid who's um, human genetically, but not culturally. And they bring him back to Earth, and he looks at all of Earth culture, as does the reader, because part of the story is the companions who associate with this person, of which that which includes the readers. It's really quite a remarkable way the reader gets drawn into being part of the story. And all the institutions that we take for granted in our society are kind of examined from the outside. 
you know, and it's, it's, it's politics and money and death and religion and, and relationships and sexuality. And all of these things are seen from this kind of an alien perspective, which the reader comes to appreciate. And in that process, a church is created called the Church of All Worlds. And so those of us who were influenced by this at the very dawn of the 60s, you know, it was totally precipitous. I mean, the pill had just been invented the year before, for instance. We're very influenced by it. So we created a real-life Church of All Worlds, and we proceeded to live with the precepts that were kind of introduced in the book and inspired by them. It wasn't enough of a model to follow it exactly, which was okay. It was asking the right questions, not really trying to provide answers. But it worked for us, and we proceeded to live that way in our life, in our relationships. And as our little circle of um, intimates grew, that became a basis. We all were lovers amongst each other, and it just seemed perfectly normal. <laughs> and it just went on that way. The whole thing was cast in one single phrase that kind of epitomized the whole wisdom of the book. And that was a definition of love as that condition in which another person's happiness is essential to your own. And if you adopt that definition of love, well, it doesn't include room for things like jealousy and possessiveness and all the rest of that stuff. It's a very, a very open and benevolent concept. And it worked. It worked for all these years. It's going on 60 years now. And, um, and it's a growing community, a pagan community, a polyamory community, and many happy people and relationships, very successful. Yeah, that's beautiful. I still remember when we first chatted, my mind was kind of blown. And a lot of people have actually contacted me and have said how much they love it. They, they yeah, That episode is one of the most popular episodes in the series. So, yeah, it's so interesting. So you just mentioned things like jealousy, and I can imagine that would come up in an ideal world, and if if you, I guess, if you could control human feelings and things like that, it wouldn't be a thing. But surely, I mean, just from an outside perspective, surely there must have been a bit of jealousy or something. Or it, did it did it just work? I mean, <laughs> well, everybody asks about that, and um, and, and I, I'm not really quite sure what to say because I've never really felt that experience in Morning Glory. Also, neither one of us had that inclination. There's some, some things that one just isn't into, you know. Some people don't uh, like broccoli, I guess, you know. And, and I don't know, it just never occurred to me. I think the experience that we've had in talking with people, because we've done lots of counseling with folks in these relationships, is about insecurity. And uh, the jealousy kind of emerges out of people feeling very insecure that their partner may love somebody else more than them and they are competitive about that and so on. But if you don't have that, if you don't start off with that sense of insecurity, and I've just never really felt insecure about myself. I've, I've always just felt I'm cool, you know. <laughs> Nothing really threatens that. And the same for Morning Glory in my relationship over the 40 years we were together. There was never a place where we felt insecure we knew we were soulmates from the moment we first locked eyes with each other. And um, that never went away. That never changed. And nothing could threaten that. Nothing could make us feel insecure about our relationship. So there was an openness. And besides which, um, when we did meet somebody else that we, we came to love, we would always want to bring them home. 
you know, come on home and meet my partner. And and we were sort of famous. You know, everybody knew our relationship dynamic. We travel a lot. Um, we were doing, you know, traveling uh, with unicorns. <laughs> we did Renaissance fairs. We did uh, pagan festivals. And we were all just all over the place. And not always together. Uh, as much as possible, we'd show up places together. But lots of times it would just be one of us out there. And we would find somebody that we would hook up with and have a wonderful time. And then we would invite them to come home and meet the rest of the family. And that all just went really well. Um, now, some of the other people that we got involved with over time did not share our uh, comfortable attitudes of this and actually had a hard time. And they just didn't work out. But we didn't really say this is a blame thing. We just said that, well, some people are better prepared for some things than others. I mean, some people are heterosexual and some people are gay and some people are bisexual and it's okay. You know, and we looked at birds as an example. When we did workshops, he said, well, you know, some birds mate for life, you know, like owls and raptors. And some of them are completely promiscuous, like, like, you know, chickens. And some of them are seasonal, like songbirds. And they go through a big courtship and they mate and they lay eggs and build a nest, raise babies. And then they fly away at the end of the season. And next year they start all over with somebody else. So they're sort of serially monogamous. And we came to suspect that serial monogamy may be the most common fundamental pattern for humans. But in point of fact, there are no known monogamous mammals of any kind, really. You know, there, there aren't. Um, and so they've done studies, even on birds that, are, that apparently are monogamous, that mate for life. And they've done genetic analysis of the offspring. And they find that the offspring are not from necessarily the... The, the mated partner, they're from somebody else. So, you know, the idea of being sexually exclusive with one other being is virtually unknown in the entire animal kingdom. And uh, the fact that it exists at all among humans is an interesting anomaly, but it doesn't generally work all that well. I mean, people extol this somehow as if this was a model, but in point of fact, if you look at the affairs, the divorce rates, the infidelities, the, you know, the stuff that brings out, you know, novels and fiction and soap operas and crime stories and, and crimes of passion and murder and all that stuff. The monogamy model really isn't, um, doesn't work all that much. I mean, people even refer to the Bible when they talk about uh, marriage models and they say, well, you know, we want to follow the Bible's thing. Well, the Bible doesn't uh, talk about monogamy. The Bible is all about polygamy, about one man and multiple wives is the normal model. The odd thing about a lot of the polygamy stuff is that it always seems to be one man and multiple women. Rarely is it, is it uh, multiple men and multiple women, although there are some cultures in, uh, in, in areas of China and India where a common pattern is uh, one woman with multiple husbands. But the Western model that we have um, of, of a couple being sexually exclusive for their entire life doesn't even really exist commonly in human history and society, you know? So I don't know what to say about that. See, to me, the, the monogamy thing is the weird thing. That's the anomalous thing, not the polygamy, the polyamory. That's, that seems kind of normal. <laughs> yeah, when you put it like that, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so there. <laughs> I'd love to know more about your because you you mentioned before that you had was it two group yes, marriages, two ten year long group marriages that were wonderful, absolutely wonderful. 
I'm still wow. very close to the people who were involved in the, and we raised kids and the kids are, re, are remain brothers and sisters throughout their lives, still are, those who are still alive. Uh, my, my first son from my first marriage died a few years ago, I'm sorry to say, and of course, Morning Glory, who was kind of the founding uh, matriarch, he's aware of the clan, you know, she died seven years ago. But all of the rest of us are still very close. We still care about each other and continue our our relationships, even though we're scattered now, we're not all living together. We're, everybody has gone off in different places. <sighs> but yeah. Yeah, it's nice to, to still have the connections. It sounds like it was just all very idyllic, really. Like it sounded like you guys spent a really beautiful time together, all of you. So, I mean, that's that's a very lucky thing to have, I guess. Not everyone gets to experience. Well, we did, that. and I think, um, I mean, there were there were a few issues of conflict that came up here and there, but they weren't about our relationships. They had nothing to do with that. We didn't have conflicts about that. Um, the conflicts would have to do with things like business, you know, and and things, you know, and choices of where to go or where to live, or what to do about various other things, which we had to resolve. But the fundamental love in our relationships was always pretty much of a ground that made everything else work. People often would say to us, well, that just seems so difficult. I couldn't possibly do that. How can you possibly make that work? And from our perspective, this was the thing that made everything else work, <laughs> the polyamory did. And even after Morning Glory died, I was supported and sustained by a network of lovers you know, that kept me going. If it hadn't been for that, I don't know what I would have done. And in the past couple of years, I've... Um, I've done a lot of traveling. I, I went walkabout uh, for a couple of years, just traveling all over the Western Hemisphere from, you know, Canada to Ecuador and all over the United States, visiting people. And many of the people I visited were looking up old lovers that I went back decades in some cases. And it was just wonderful to see each other and connect, even though we'd been scattered. Because as I said, Morning Glory and I made a lot of our lovers in our travels. So they were scattered all over the country. And that was, it was wonderful to be able to go somewhere and have that connection. It just doesn't go away. You know, it's like we say, polyamory is you never have to end a relationship. And basically, I rarely have. I haven't actually personally ever ended a relationship. Some of them have drifted away over time, but, but none of them have had a, you know, termination exactly. Yeah, I, I was going to ask about that, but I also, before I do, like, did you have a wedding with, with these two group marriages or, or is it kind of you and Morning Glory were together and then, like, you just add, add them on? Or <laughs> how does the, the ceremonies and that Yes, that very good, very good. Well, we had Morning Glory and I, we met in uh, uh, Fall Equinox of 1973 and we were married in a spectacular pagan wedding. It was a hand-fasting ceremony, which is a traditional pagan wedding ceremony, but it was also a legal wedding with paperwork and all that stuff the following spring. So six months after we met, we were, we were married. And in the course of our uh, poly marriages, poly relationship, we did have a few ceremonial marriages within them that were also pretty dramatic and beautiful. And all of our friends came and attended and uh, yeah, we did. We we did with our triad marriage with Diane, and then when Diane uh, uh, married Gary, which had been Morning Glory's previous husband, we brought him back into the family, and he and Diane had a formal marriage, and 
So there was four of us. And then later on, when we brought Wolf into our later marriage, we had a really spectacular triad marriage with him. And yeah, so, you know, the ceremonies are a part of it as well. And they're beautiful, beautiful ones. We even, in the book that Maureen Gloria and I wrote, Creating Circles and Ceremonies, it's all loaded with ceremonial and ritual elements. Um, there's a formula for poly marriages as well in the section on marriages. Oh, it's so cool. It's really, yeah, it just, it sounds so, so lovely. Does the way it work, I'm just trying to get my head around it with the marriages, like the, I think the marriages is what I, I'm not super familiar with. Are you all married to each other individually as well? Like, is there a, a hierarchical structure or how, how does Well, that work? was an interesting one. You know, we had to spend a lot of time sorting that out because there wasn't really a functional model that we could find that we related to entirely. So we had to make it up. And um, in, in examining different possibilities and in other cultures as well, particularly uh, the Yoruba culture in Nigeria has a really good model for this kind of stuff with language describing each uh, a relationship of the different people. We eventually came to an idea of seniority as being kind of the hierarchy, you know, as the the old, the longer relationships have the um, the seniority of decision making and stuff like that. And we had to sort that out and, and figure out how to make it work. Much of this was very experimental. We were we were in unknown territory, and we were totally free to make it up as we wanted it to be. So we, we, we made up what worked for us, and we created our own rules. And if they didn't work, we would sit down and say, well, that's not working, so let's change it. And so we would do that. It just kept on going. Um, so let's see. Uh, hmm. So that, that was the dynamic. There was a special dynamic for the uh, senior partnership, which was, of course, Morning Glory and I always. And then as new people came in, the newest person would also have a certain uh, special relationship because they would be the new and exciting, you know, new blood in the whole thing. And so it wasn't uh, always that everybody was married equally to everybody else, although in some of these times we did do, you know, uh, rotating sleeping schedules or or have a big enough bed for for three or four people to <laughs> to share. And we did all of that. I think the model that eventually seemed to gel the most effectively was what Heinland called the line marriage, where, where, where new people coming in marry, you know, one other person in the family, and the rest of the people are still the family, but not necessarily the direct marriage. And of course, in those times, um, there wasn't really a simple way that we could legally uh, have more than two people married to each other. That's, of course, is changing now, too. So we did come up with a formula, though. In looking for how we could legally have the same rights of a marriage, we discovered that, in fact, there was a legal model, and it's the Limited Liability Corporation, which is exactly like a marriage in all of its structure, gives you all the same legal privileges, but it's for three people or more. So we incorporated it as an LLC, and that became our uh, our official family Legal designation. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So while you were in these group marriages, were you also allowed to date Oh, yeah, outside? that's how we found new people. I mean, if it hadn't been for that, we wouldn't have been able to bring in new people, would we? <laughs> you know? <laughs> of course, yeah. <laughs> we weren't really very big on imposing rules on each other. Um, the first polycon that we went to that I mentioned, which was, I think, in 91, 1991, it was sponsored by two groups called, one was called uh, Polyfidelity Educational Pursuits. So one of the terms was polyfidelity, which means being faithful to many. And the other one was called Internet, Internet in, Intimate network, which is a nice term. And they sponsored this event. And um, and, and we, the Church of All Worlds, were uh, the major group who was brought there. We were given the assignment of the opening and closing ceremonies and workshops and all that stuff. And there was another group that had been established just about as long as we had called Carista. And the way it was set up is that we were on the right side of the auditorium when you came in, and they were on the left side of the auditorium. Both of us had booths and tables and literature and all that kind of stuff, and we were, but they were on opposite sides of the room. And we were having people from who were new coming in, and they'd come over to us and they'd say, "So, what are your rules?" And we were like, at first, we were like, "Rules? What do you mean?" You say, "Well, you know, what what are the rules that you have?" And we all we kind of looked around and said, "Hmm." Be excellent to each other. And he said, is that it? And we looked around to each other and we kind of nodded. And we said, yeah, I think that about covers it. And he said, well, those people on the other side, the Christians, they've got 87 rules and, and you know, 76 agreements and all this kind of stuff. And all we could say was, wow, that's a lot of rules. I, I don't think we could keep track of them. So our, our single rule in the Church of All Worlds and in our polydynamics has always really been nothing else but be excellent to each other. That's really all we've needed. Oh, that's so beautiful. It's very refreshing to hear too. It's just, yeah, that's lovely. Well, we have counseled other people trying to have relationships and, and invariably, uh, and we thought that many of them go wrong with this, they want to start off by establishing a bunch of rules, ground rules. And they will come up with things like, well, you can have uh, sex with other people, but you can't fall in love with anybody else. Or, you know, you can go out and have a date, but you have to come back and, and, and spend the night here. You can't go spend the night somewhere else. And things like this. They will come up with these things that would make them feel more secure. And we would always say, you know, you are just setting yourself up for a fall here because one of the first rules ever is to never make unenforceable rules, you know, because they're going to break. You know, somebody you can't tell people they can't fall in love. You can't tell people that under some circumstances that might emerge, they all have to spend the night somewhere else. You know, these are stupid things to do, you know. And if this is, if your whole relationship is going to be hinged on unenforceable rules, you're dooming it from the outset. And then all we could advise is, look, if you find that it's not working for you, don't give up. Just sit down and renegotiate. Say, well, that didn't work, so uh, what else do we have to do? But really, we found that most people's whole thing was about trying to establish their own sense of security by limiting what the other person was allowed to do. They were never about wanting to limit themselves. They always wanted to limit their partner. And 
that's just a bad motivation. You know, you know, if, if you're going to be making rules, you should be making ones that you want to follow, not rules you expect somebody else to follow that don't apply to you. And people are always wanting to do that, you know. Anyway, that was our attitude about it all. It worked for us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds absolutely, it, it sounds lovely. And I think, like, I've got a lot of friends who are poly, and I feel like I that that topic comes up a lot with the I guess it is the insecurities of oneself that that is the biggest issue and in an ideal world you know really that poly being polyamorous would be quite I don't know I mean it sounds it sounds logical well, it does it? and and see that's the thing um this is something for people who are fundamentally healthy and secure it's just not a it's not a thing for people who are insecure and it really isn't and you shouldn't try it you know, there are things that the one of the first things in Morning Glory's article on bouquet of lovers is the importance of honesty, not just with the other person, but with yourself. You know, you have to really know what is it you really want, what's really important to you, how are you really structured, are you really good, you know, able to do this? You know, do you really have enough of a sense of security that you can enter into such a relationship where security is not necessarily the thing? You know. Are you fearless? Are you courageous? Are you bold, adventuresome? You know, all these things. Not everybody is. And not everybody is suited for this. And they shouldn't, you know, don't try this at home, kids. You know, we're professionals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that that all sounds, I think that's really good advice. I was just going to ask you if for anyone out there considering uh, going into a polyamorous relationship or considering polyamory, what advice you had for them. But I feel like you just covered it. <laughs> well, good. Well, if you can think of any other questions, I'll be happy to give about the best answers I can. And I can't say that my answers are good for anybody else. Your mileage may vary. You know? <laughs> I mean, this is a very personal thing. There's When you've got two people, you've really only got one relationship, the relationship between those two people. But when you add a third person, then you have um, not just two relationships, you've got four relationships. You've got the relationship between each person A and person B and person B and person C and, and person A and person C, and then the relationship of all three together. And then it, it can multiplies exponentially every time you bring in a new person. And so the relationship constellation can become incredibly complex. And then if you've got other outside people that are only relating to one person, maybe, you, you we had to create molecular diagrams, you know, that looked like uh uh, you know, it looked like we were doing chemistry, you know, with with valences and strength of these connections. And <laughs> and we did. Those were a lot of fun to do. Well, how did they all relate? Because we had extended network of lovers outside of our immediate poly family. And they had other lovers. And we had to connect with all that. And it was really quite, quite fascinating. It's a whole society emerging from this concept. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've got to ask you quickly before we go. But was it ever... Did you ever get tired <laughs> having all these different relationships or did it just Well, Wolf just put work? it uh, very succinctly at one point. He said, you know, love may be infinite, but time is not. And, and trying to balance multiple relationships and give each one of them the time and attention that they require can be challenging, certainly. You know, I think really it, it would not have worked for us had we not had 
all of our partners also relating to each other. If it was just, for example, me relating to all the other people individually and them not relating to each other, that would have been a hell of a burden just on me alone. But they did, you know, and the nice thing about it, one of the real wonderful benefits among many of a poly dynamic is that you've always got somebody to do things with. You know, um, for example, I, I wasn't particularly into horse racing, but Morning Glory and Diane were, so they would go off to the horse races. And then and then winter also. So, they, you know, you'd have the three ladies would go off and, and go to a horse race. And Wolf and I instead would go to an action movie, which the ladies weren't so much interested in. And, and it always worked. You always had somebody to do cool stuff with. And if you're um, creative, you've got somebody to explore that with. You know, some of the people may be a musical and and want to have a little band, and somebody else may just be a, an artist and want to have a studio and work on their art. And all of this is possible. It expands the different dimensions of your of yourself and your possibilities to have multiple people to do it with. Always somebody to go to a movie with, you know. Um, Liza and I liked to go to Jane Austen movies. Nobody else was interested in Jane Austen movies, but Wolf and I went to all the superhero movies together. You know, it's it's just... I don't know. The, the The possibilities are so, so much greater. You never you're never bored, of course, but you're also never feeling left out. Really, that um, you're all you you don't have anybody to go to a movie with, you know. And of course, for raising kids, it was great for kids. Fabulous yeah, environment tough. for kids to grow up in with multiple parents. You know, that worked really well. Yeah, what do they say? It takes a village. Yeah, they say it takes a village to raise a child. And, you know, there's a corollary. It takes a Viking to raise a village. <laughs> <laughs> Oberon, what's your current situation? Are you dating or what's, yeah. well, what's going on at your Well, I'd be dating a lot more if we weren't having COVID restrictions, but I'm living in a, um, in, in a kind of a group uh, uh, situation here, a, a community, a community but we're all locked down with COVID. So before we got in total lockdown, I had several ladies that um, who would come and I would spend time with. But at currently, that's not happening and will be very shortly. We are eagerly looking forward to the lid being lifted on all of this and expanding back into that because I, I really miss it. And the ladies are very eager to return. So, you know. Um, phone calls and text messages and things aren't really quite the same as actually being together physically. Of course. It, it is sounding like things are getting better, I guess, worldwide, really, especially with the, the vaccine yeah. rollout. So hopefully things will start opening. Yes. Well, that's soon. to be expected, we hope. Uh, that's what we're looking for. It will be a great relief. This has been the year the world stood still, you know, the, the earth stood still like that old movie. Yeah, and we're, I think we're all tired of it and looking forward to being able to uh, get out again and date again. <sighs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. absolutely. We'll look back at this one day and, you know, it'll just be an experience. You know, that reminds me of a thing Morning Glory and I used to say to each other. We'd have some, some weird thing would happen and we would turn to each other and we'd say, you know, someday we'll look back on all this, laugh nervously, and quickly change the subject. Ah, that's beautiful. <laughs> and, and very true. true. It, it was, oh, we had such a time. I mean, 40 years together, and we were just crazy in love and totally bold and fearless and adventuresome. And the world was just before us, and there was nothing we couldn't do. And um, 
And we, and we, over 40 years, we developed our own little private language because we read all the same books and listened to all the same music and watched the same TV shows and movies. And we would both know what we were talking about and we would laugh and chuckle and everybody else would just look at us and wonder what happened. And that's just the thing, one of the things that was the hardest to deal with after she died is um, that the, all that is gone, all that, that whole past. You know, there's nobody now that I have that kind of a language with where I can make a, uh, a single reference. I mean, you know, there's a few that everybody knows. You can say 420 or 42 and, and most people will get it. But we had, a, we had lots of that stuff, lots and lots of it. Yeah. Your relationship together sounds absolutely incredible. I feel like they need to make a movie well, out we of it. And yeah, yeah, that's right. I, I feel like the only way to really look at it is I guess not everyone gets to experience a great love like that. So it, it's uh, such a privilege, I guess, to, to have had that for 40 years. I mean, that's pretty yeah, special, it is. isn't it? And we were always aware of that. And we certainly wanted that for everybody who, who wants it, really. And um, and I think a, big, a good part about it is if this is what you really want, then you have to be open to it. You have to uh, be available. You know, And many people are not. Many people have all these prior, pre-existing criteria, and um, they're not just open to something. And, and Morning Glory and I had that openness in the first place, or we never would have met, because the day before we met, we had absolutely no idea how our life was going to be changed forever the next day. <laughs> but we were open enough to be able to realize it and to run with it and to accept it. And that's what you really have to do. If you're going to find great love, you have to be willing to um, leap off the cliff and, and trust that somehow wings will sprout and you'll, you will fly. I just got a, a book published called uh, That Undiscovered Country, A Traveler's Guide to the Afterlife. So please check out my stuff. All you got to do is plug my name in you know, Amazon and, and everything I'm doing will come up there. What an absolute legend. I know I say this a lot, but I could have listened to Oberon speak for hours. He is just so full of knowledge and such a lovely human. If you want to check out his stuff and follow him on social media, I've linked it all in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this conversation and any of the other episodes of Living With Mon, the best way you can support the podcast is by rating it and leaving a review. It helps other people find this series. And if you really like it, sharing it with your mates helps out so much. As an independent creator, I can use all the love I can get. For now, though, I hope you have a wonderful week. My name is Monica O'Hanlon, and that was Living With Mon. I'll see you next time. <laughs>